I think if I could record that, I think that should be our theme song. Just her going, recording in progress. Hail and welcome to Circle Talk, a podcast for seekers, initiates, and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless different opinions. We are your hosts. Hi, I'm Josie. I'm a high priestess and coven leader from outside of Melbourne, Australia. Hi, I'm James, a high priest and coven leader from outside New Orleans, Louisiana. Hi, I'm Peter. I'm a coven leader and high priest in South Wales. And I'm G, a high priestess and coven leader in the Boston area of Massachusetts. And we are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and try to explore differing opinions on how the Alexandrian uh, tradition is practiced in different covens and around the globe. Listeners are reminded that while we are all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we can only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, which is pretty much an impossible thing to do. This is episode 11. If this is your first episode, welcome. You may want to take a moment to pause this and to go back and listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero, introductions, and episode one, definitions, or check them out later after you enjoy this one. So today we're going to be talking about the various ways Alexandrian covens might be structured. What's a dedicant or a neophyte? What's the difference between degrees in terms of knowledge and expectations? And what other specialized roles may exist? What's interesting about this topic is I think ideas about hierarchy make people in the neo-pagan and eclectic Wiccan communities kind of nervous, kind of itchy. And I think that's just because most of us came out of organized religion and have certain feelings about other people telling us what to do in terms of our worship or in terms of our practice. This idea that somebody might dictate what you can and cannot or should or should not do makes us nervous. But we, as traditional Alexandrians, obviously think that there are some inherent benefits to working within a hierarchical coven structure. And so that's part of what we want to talk about today. So to get us rolling, we should start at the very beginning, which is the idea of having a dedicant or a neophyte. So how do we all treat that degree? Or what is it even to start there? So generally a dedicant or a neophyte, as I understand it, is, uh, and so only some lines have it uh, in traditional Wicca, but it's a non-initiatory sort of pre-training degree yeah that's how we see it too as well it's it's a time where we get to know the the new person who wants to come into the coven uh it's a time for them to get to know us you know people might sound amazing on paper but actually when you get into the nitty-gritty start giving them some work to do you might find out that actually they're not right for you and i know it's something we've spoken about before easy to get uh, out of but hard to get into kind of thing so yeah we see it like you as well Josie. We're not currently doing dedicates or neophytes in our structure. I've been in covens that do these things but we don't so we're basically going straight from seeker through a observation period while they're still a seeker to a potentially initiation. I think there's benefits to that as well isn't there that if I'm doing the seeker and I'm going straight from seeking which might take a couple of weeks straight into initiation and that that whole experience is is a lot quicker whereas i think if you have a dedicant or a neophyte i think i i worry sometimes that they might get bored of waiting but i know that that waiting is also a test as well it also depends on how you uh you approach that our we have a current seeker that we're in discussions and conversations with um, and have been for a little while I think we first met them a little over a year ago. And so they've been around the periphery of the coven for, for a while now. But there's, yeah, there's there's no dedicant or, or neophyte. That doesn't mean that we don't teach them things or have conversations with them. It's just much less formal. You know, if I suggest they work on some exercises and they don't do them well you just didn't do them i'm not going to slap your hand for not doing homework or tests or anything like that and at the end of the day it just tells me more about your work ethic and what you're going to be like as an initiate on the other side um yeah that's 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 really true because we give neophytes or, or dedicates a series of lessons and we almost kind of say this is at your pace you know, this this might take you a couple of months. This might take you a year and a day. It might take you longer. But it tells us about their worth e- work ethic as well. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of tests which maybe the neophyte of the dead can isn't aware of so do you feel that this is more of like a coven specific choice a line specific choice i think we've just agreed it's certainly not tradition specific but like josie in your upline do they also use the dedicated neophyte role is that is that where you got the idea from or where the practice came to you uh, there are some groups that do and some groups that don't. I think it depends very much on the circumstances of the group. I think a lot of people I know also do what James does, where they have a more sort of informal sort of situation. Some lines talk about it um, over here as making somebody a friend of the craft. So it's kind of bringing the seeker in close enough that you can talk about some things, but without that oath-bound initiatory side of things and also not locking anybody into anything at at that point anyone can still kind of walk away I like that I like that terminology a friend of the craft I think that's really nice for us I think almost everybody in my upline does a dedicant role and part of that is because in my line people tend to keep require a certain amount of knowledge and ability before initiation so whereas other people will initiate and then do all the training. So you get initiated knowing very little. We tend to do the opposite where you're taught a lot of skills and like the outer court ritual structure and practices. And then once you know that down, then you get initiated and then you receive like the initiatory materials and are able to perform other certain skills that we don't think it's appropriate for non-initiates to be doing. Or maybe skills is the right word, but like ritual actions. So that I think is why it's so prevalent in my line, because people have this this kind of mentality. But I've also heard that old story that floats around every once in a while of people being made dedicants or practicing in an outer court and being made to memorize like all this material, all the pagan way material or what have you, and then getting initiated and being told, okay, forget everything that you just spent all that time learning and practicing that's we're not using that anymore so it felt i think to some of those folks like their time was wasted or like they were put unnecessarily through experiences or tests that in the end weren't really useful anymore which that's not how we treat our outer court material but i thought that was kind of interesting so what i found interesting is my my initiating cousin my first cousin g as you know is a different branch of your line. I got adopted out and elevated, so on and so forth. And I know that that particular coven was the first in their part of the line to adopt the practice of dedication. The people above them, it was more like an apprenticeship. So it was less a formal outer court. And they called it, you you became a dedicant. So, but it was more one-on-one with I think some of the second degree members, um, maybe a third degree would do the training and, and less formal. And it wasn't until our coven formed and the high priest under the auspices of a third formalized it for us. So I, I just think that's interesting how different parts of the branch were still using dedicant, but they were playing around it differently. Yeah, that is interesting. I like that idea if you've got a large enough coven, and we can talk more when we get there, to pair off new students with your second degrees to give them a little bit of more of a personalized experience and um, give the second degree a little bit more experience in terms of instruction. That's a nice idea. Do we all think that a dedicancy or a dedicant neophyte period is the same as outer court, or do we treat outer court as something different? We come at it from a point of view that outer court includes our dedicants. I think sometimes we get a little bit bogged down with with terminology. And even though we hold open sabbats and open celebrations, but we wouldn't necessarily say that those people are part of our outer court, we would at least definitely say that neophytes or dedicants are part of the outer court system for us. No formal outer court here, just for an initiate or not. I think I feel similarly. Um, we have open Sabbaths and friends and guests and whoever might come to those, but I don't. I would not consider that outer court. We've never really held outer court and inner 
support separate. Oftentimes when new dedicants come on board or new students come on board, everybody sort of pauses long enough to make sure that they learn all of the outer court material and skills or whatever. And then after they're initiated, go back to initiatory work, which is a little bit disruptive. So I think figuring out a way to do that can be tricky. But we would traditionally, I think, if I think if you have to have a separate outer court and inner court to that great of an extent, it means some people aren't seeing each other all of the time, which is probably where that idea of like new students don't get to know the rest of the coven until they're initiated also comes into play for some groups. My last question for y'all is whether or not you have your dedicants and neophytes in your ritual, like when, when you do the dedication or neophyte ritual, if you have them take any oaths to the coven. We do. We have um, just a simple oath just around keeping secret what the coven talks to them about. Ours is the same. We have yet to get to a point in our in our current neophyte and, and dedicates training. I know that me and the high priestess have a little bit of a different opinion and different view on this, but I know that for something for me, I would like to do something like that just, just as a kind of formal introduction as well, or a semi-formal introduction to oaths, what oaths mean. You know, nothing is really going to happen if you break this oath that I'm thinking of because a lot of it is public material or like 99.999% of it is public material. It's just that we've put something together which is coherent in a, in a course for them to follow. But yeah, it's something that I would, I would definitely like to have a go at as well. I think it's important for I- protection of identities. That's why I include it, why I think it's important is not because I care about people sharing materials like, okay, fine. But I think it's important to get them used to this idea of you don't talk about the people that you meet, what happens in circles stays in circle you don't talk about the people that you met in circle or um share their names out in the wider community like that's not that's not something that we condone and so just getting them introduced to that idea it is toothless as you say peter like we don't our dedicate oaths are not given with an attachment to any consequence it's not and you know chicken little like will the sky fall down on me if i don't if i don't adhere to this it's just getting them used to the idea of having responsibility to other people, like being part of the contract. So somebody makes it through their dedicancy or neophyte, or perhaps they do not, perhaps they uh, pass go, collect $200 immediately and go right to initiation. In which case, what does it mean when we toss around the word initiate? Because oftentimes I will use the word initiate when I wanna speak very broadly. So when people hear initiate as a term, who are we talking about when we use that? I think it depends. And I say that because the term initiation, uh, the way I, I've come to understand it, can have a number of different meanings depending on who's talking, what the context is, what the relevance is. So when you're then turn around and say, oh, they're an initiate, well, that also depends on what the context is of their initiation. So usually for me, when I say it, they're an initiate. I mean, they've undergone the rights of the Wicca to become a member of the Wicca. Well, that's that's the first meaning is they joined a group, but it also means new beginning. So if I decide that I'm going to take up building houses for a living, well, I've created a new beginning. I've undergone an initiation. If I'm standing in the store for whatever reason, the way things are on the shelf give me one of those aha moments. I've had a personal initiation. Having someone in your friend group and you introduce them to a member, a group of the community, they have undergone a initiation because they have been introduced to a community. And then uh, the last one's more cabalistic, I guess. It gets into sphere work. It's where your sphere of influence and the sphere of influence of other things integrate over one another in the, the presence of one another, and they, they resonate in the same wavelength. So for me, it just depends on which one of these you're talking about. I don't think that we as initiates need to define in our conversation exactly which one of these we're talking about. 
Oh yeah, season initiative. And by that, I mean blank. I think people are intelligent enough usually to pick out the context of what we're referring to. Yeah, I think the very bare minimum is that an initiative is somebody who has gone through the first degree circle and had an initiation into the craft of the wicker. I like all of those definitions, James, as well. They're really, they're really interesting. Thank you. I think it's is also important to remember what we talked about in the secrecy episodes earlier on um, and the idea of, of proper people. An initiate doesn't necessarily mean that this person, if I say yes, somebody's an initiate, it doesn't necessarily mean they're a proper person and vice versa. And also it's a word that doesn't mean anything outside of the context of our tradition. So being an initiate into this tradition doesn't, give you more sway in the wider pagan community or at least it shouldn't definitely and I appreciate that reminder because I think it needs to be said frequently since that elitism concern is always present I think I just noticed semi-recently that I've been tossing around the term initiate when I'm speaking to my students and then when I'm speaking in the community and I've, I've been pondering how am I using that term and and why and when and I've noticed is that like if I'm using the term initiate, I'm speaking very broadly of Gardnerians and Alexandrians and like the five things that we can agree on. And then from there, you know, it sort of tapers down. So noticing that, I was kind of curious the ways that we all think about them. And now thank you, James, for reminding me about, about the initiations and the spheres because it's been a little while since I thought about that. But that was a good, a good reminder and a good memory. Okay. So somebody gets initiated becomes an initiate goes through the first degree ritual and at that point in our covens what are our sort of expectations hopes for first degrees in our groups for us it means that they can sort of fully participate um, in all the rites so that's probably an expectation for sure and a lot of the learning that they couldn't do around like what you were saying about ritual acts and and ritual content even um so the learning kind of shifts focus to that for us it's about the teachings of the circle and learning um everything that they need to learn in order to run an effective circle from the salt and water to everything else in between you know we expect that a first degree gets involved uh they're not just passive in their own learning you know this is their path this is their journey they have to be active on it as well. And that really is their responsibility. You know, it, it isn't just turn up and, and kind of see what happens. There is learning that takes place as well. Yeah, so for us, it's, it's, about, it's about striking whilst the iron is hot. The iron is hot? The armor is hot? I always forget. Iron, um, the iron is hot. Iron, yeah. It's about striking whilst the iron is hot and making sure that that the new initiate feels that they've done this for a reason as well and not just oh you know you've been initiated and then in a couple of months time we'll have a circle or you know it's about getting straight in there i don't want to downplay the importance of a first degree learning but i think that's secondary for us if you become an initiate as a first degree i think primarily it's you're part of the family now you're you're in the coven you're in the group there's more than just you being a student. You that's the best part. I know, but that's the main expectation. And all the things that come with that, it's time for you to contribute. And the, that contribution might not be teaching. It might be just bullshitting with us you know, or, or helping set up for ritual or participate in the process of our shared practice and spiritual pursuit. Um, yeah, certainly I want you to focus on your learning of the craft and there's a lot to learn, but to me, that's all secondary. Over the equinox, I had like a weekend intensive because I had somebody in from out of town. And so, but it was a very, it's been a very hectic time for, I think a lot of us. And so my temple was not set up. Um, I had vacuumed, I had cleaned, but I had not gotten around to like setting up altars or anything. And so when everybody got over, I was like, well, I haven't set up temple yet, so that has to be done. And my excuse that I made to myself was, that's fine that I didn't get around to it because the kids can do it. And by the kids, I mean my students. They're not children. I just also teach, so everybody's kids. But 
I was like, that's fine. My excuse will be that the students, you know, will have to watch it and learn from it. And so that's why I haven't gotten around to it yet. And I was very pleased because uh, one of my students, as soon as I said, the altar hasn't been set up yet, was like, oh, can we help and watch? And I was like, yes, good. We are well on our way to, and she's going to listen to this and be like, and laugh, but like, we're well on our way to like asking the right kinds of questions taking responsibility, like contributing to the getting stuff done, the work that we have to do. And also I was like, thank God, because that's really what I was hoping that you guys would say, because I have been really lazy about it. So it's, it's that kind of attitude that I think I appreciate for both of those ways, right? It's the hunger to learn. And also it's the willingness or the desire to be in the family, right? To, to help make everything go that I appreciate. I also think we've talked sometimes about like a very intensive seeker period or a very intensive dedicancy period with like very long reading lists. I've seen y'all's reading lists. They're longer than mine. Some of them essays. (laughs) And I think it's important to note that when somebody gets initiated, that process doesn't stop. And perhaps for some of us, that's when that process starts. But like, there's a lot of learning and a lot of responsibility and practice that somebody has to like find the time and the space to do at the first degree. And I do think, I wonder if it's the same for all of you. I think for me, the beginning of the first degree period right after initiation is real intense because it's like, you've got all this stuff to learn, but eventually once they're comfortable, they've learned a lot of it. And before we get around to any other degrees, there's a period where it sort of tapers off and they can just sort of comfortably sit And I think the trick is not letting them get too comfortable in there. Always keeping them on their toes. It's a staple of a good teacher. I like I I like that as well, G, because it's it's something that we've employed as well, insofar that sometimes we won't set up ritual space because it means that everybody can can partake in it then. Normally we get like our first degrees to shine our brass pentacle, brass pentacle, copper pentacle. Yeah, that's, that's something that we always do. And they're like, oh, not the pentacle. And we're like, yeah, it's got stains on it. That's your job. <laughs> wax on, wax off. I want to know why Josie's giggling so much. I had an argument with my students the other day who were like, please let us clean this sensor. It is so dirty. And I'm like, no. Really? I'm not, comfor- I'm not comfortable with them cleaning anything. I don't know. I would be like, yes, please. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's why you're here. Instant, instant elevation. If you're willing to clean all the stupid incense (laughs) dust out, I hate cleaning out the incense dust. I've switched. I was using like little glass beads in my, in uh, votive holders to put stick incense in. And Peter's probably going to clutch his pearls about stick incense, but um, (laughs) I switched over to salt to using like cheap salts because I'm like I hate cleaning all the stupid little glass beads and they're so bad for the environment but so if somebody was willing to do that Josie you got to let them fly this is a it's like a um I think it's silver plated proper sensor that you put the charcoal in so it's got all um thermal thank you thermal um it's got creosote all on the on its little lid and they just hate it and I'm like hmm kind of like it like that well if you like it like that that's one thing but if it's because (laughs) and I get I get into this too right like I'm so hyper aware of the red flags that we've talked about that I don't want to ask them to step out of their lane so whenever somebody asks like what can I bring I'm like you know I'm making dinner bring whatever you want don't don't worry about it but if they're starting to volunteer you know, that's a step in the right direction, I think. I also like one of my biggest responsibilities as a dedicant was to set up temple, um, clean up and set up temple. And me and my my coven sister at the time, my 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 co-dedicant at the time, and we would set up the altar and then we would present it to my high priestess for inspection, who would go like, hmm, and like rearrange everything to her to her liking so that it was like as aesthetically pleasing as possible. Um, you know but that's a fond memory now (laughs) there's such a balance to be met though hey I know what you mean about being hyper aware of red flags like you don't want to be that high priestess yeah that you're sitting there doling out orders and having them cleaning the silverware 
or you're sitting around holding court like I just couldn't stomach that so just need to get more comfy with it one of my new students is allergic to cats and so another student was over early and she volunteered to help me like vacuum and sweep because we didn't realize how bad the allergy was and he was very sick like the first night of our weekend intensive and I felt real bad about it but I was like I had to accept the help I don't want them cleaning my house but decatting I've got two very shedy cats like it was a lot you know so I think at some point when it's offered and I also think at some point when you've known each other for long enough or get close enough, you know, you find that in between space where like, it's okay. But I, I hear you. I felt very weird about it, but also this poor guy was so allergic to my cats that we really needed to do something. So a minute ago, gee, you talked about that lull period between first and second. And everyone talked about kind of keeping people on their toes. I didn't quite jump in because I wanted to think about it for a second. I don't know if I have the goal for my initiates to all elevate. If that is part of their path, I think it will come. But I'm not I'm not trying to do that. I am going to teach them the craft. I'm going to make sure that they are competent and they can participate in what the coven does. But if they never go past first, they're still initiates. There's nothing that makes a second or third degree better than the first degree. We're just different roles. Different goals, too. I think that's a good point. I mean, I had that fight with my high priest where I said, you know, not sometimes people don't want to move past the first degree. And he is older and from an older generation of traditional witchcraft. And he was like, then why are they here? (laughs) Well, they're here because they like what we do. (laughs) They're here because, you know, what we do works for them. They're here because they want to honor the gods. Like they're here for a number of reasons. They don't have to be here to climb the corporate ladder as it were. Right. Um, They're still getting benefits and they're still contributing. So I don't necessarily need to keep them on their toes to get them to the next level. Definitely. But I also have seen where depending on what kind of a coven you are or like what, what the goals of your coven are. And if you've got yourself set up as a training coven, it can become very easy to stagnate if you acquire a lot of first degrees who aren't moving anywhere. And at some point, you know, then you might need to reassess the goals of your coven and, and rename your purpose. Um, But I think that stagnating energy can, can also have a, I don't want to say like, I don't want to use the word negative, but can just, it changes the tenor of the coven. And And I I agree with all that. So that's, that's the danger you run into. But it's also, if you have a bunch of first degrees and it's just you as a couple of thirds, you should probably slow down on initiating folks um, because you're going to need the support. And if no one steps up to be second, well, you just don't grow anymore. I don't know. Good. No, that's a very good point. Yeah, and there are, there are things that second degrees do with second degrees and thirds do with thirds and seconds. And, you know, if, if no one is moving and you have a bunch of first degrees and maybe only one third or one second, there are things that you can't do or that you're not privy to until, until second and third. So it's not as if, I don't want to say you're missing out, but also I want to say you're missing out on things if, if you don't necessarily move forward. You know, it's so it's okay to stay at first. You know, I, I've heard of stories of people being at first for for decades and, and a long time, and they're happy there. But you know, there are techniques, there are things that you learn during second, during third, which you then only do with other second and other thirds. James is unmuted, and I'm just waiting. Oh, I'm waiting I'm for waiting. Josie. I, I thought Josie was going to talk. I, I had some <laughs> for a second there, but then you covered. No, it it's gone. Oh, so okay. I'm just... Oh, finally, finally. You got to something before he did. Yes, come on. Come on. (laughs) Both James and I, I don't know if it's an Australian and a Southern thing, but I I feel we're both a little more laconic and we just take our time on these things. I think we're linguistic kin and that all the Southern US people and the Australians need to band together and tell the rest of the world to slow down when they talk. (laughs) I was going to say some of the best sort of coven situations I've been in um, and I'm going carefully here because I think they'll be listening 
have a really good that really good mix of first second thirds it's not too top heavy and there's a healthy amount of autonomy because everybody kind of has a role if we're talking about covens as a hierarchical structure you need to have different people at the different levels of the hierarchy to keep the wheels turning smoothly right it it's meant to operate like that and so it goes a little bit better when you've got all those pieces in play do you think Josie yeah for sure I've seen sort of variations on that I've seen where it's comments have gotten very top heavy and nobody at the other end the newer people move so it's nice to have a balance I think if you can I think also we've all seen or heard stories of people who have been pushed along too quickly towards elevation and the impact. I mean, I think if you move somebody into leadership roles before they're ready to be moved into leadership roles, just because some kind of a time limit, you know, the oven timer went off and you were like, well, time to go (laughs) or because the coven for whatever reason, like needs more people in certain roles or, or whatever. But also sometimes people have to be pushed out of the nest a smidge again there's that balance to be struck right definitely so dancing around this if somebody is elevated to the second degree if somebody's ready if somebody asks for it and wants to move on to second degree what are our expectations of or what should we what should we anticipate seeing um, from second degrees within the cup instruction for us second degrees take a larger role within the running of the coven, setting up, running, organising rituals, organising sabbats, teaching other second degrees maybe that have that have joined with them, teaching firsts. Um, there's a lot of leadership and management that comes with, in my opinion, taking, taking second and taking third as well. There's our expectation that you have gained knowledge that you will pass on to others in the coven at the appropriate degree. In my experience, there's also a bit more of expectation that as a second, you take more responsibility for running ritual when you're asked to do so, or even writing ritual. Yeah, to me, the hallmarks of somebody who's ready to elevate or somebody who's who's a secondary in the coven is that they've that they're helping to lift the coven, that they're taking responsibilities, leadership, um, taking initiative to do things demonstrating an interest in teaching other people right because eventually once you hit second degree and we'll talk about this when we talk about third degrees but in a lot of lines once you hit second degree you can technically run your own coven and so you know my expectation for a second degree would be in a demonstrated willingness to like practice those skills I guess so a second for us and I'll disagree with anything any of y'all said is Someone who has learned their craft. So first degree, you're learning the craft. Second degree, you're you're pretty savvy in it. You might not be to the point where you can teach others, but it's time to start flexing your skills towards that eventuality. And as uh, G said, there are in some lines where seconds, you know, run the whole shebang. I know there's a line of gardenarians in europe where when you move from second to third they just do it themselves and they're completely legit gardenarians it's just the way they approach that dynamic um and in some alexandrian covens they give second and third together and i know that's what the london coven did our line doesn't do that but that goes back because we're for our line and as anyone who is familiar with the story for whatever reason, Alex and the coven decided to give them separate in our case. And by the time it came down to us, we just kept that up. Prominent member of our upline has always said that um, there are there are two rituals. There's a first degree, there's a second degree, there's a third degree ritual. So therefore, if there's two rituals, that they that they should be given separately. Now, I know as I, I think we all know. Of, of covens and lines that give second and third together. And there's a, there's a specific reason that some covens and some lines give second and third together. We haven't had a situation where we feel that we need to give second and third together. There's a lot of learning, at least we feel, I feel, that happens between that period of 
of, of waiting. This is air quotes, waiting between second and third. We've discussed this in the covenant. And if, if you go straight from second, straight into third in the same night, for us, there's not enough time for any second energy dust to settle before you get into that, into that third as well. So there are the mysteries that we interact with. And yay for vague definition of mysteries. But as the Wicca, being a mystery religion, we focus on a specific set of mysteries in our rites. Well, first degree is initiation into the rite, second degree penetration of the rites, and third degree celebration. And so I've heard the teaching that if you're ready for second, you're ready for third, because if the mysteries have penetrated you, your being, and permeate throughout you, then you're ready to celebrate it. It's okay to laugh. It's okay. No, because then we're like 12. Um, we, we are 12. I think all, it, all of us at heart. Sometimes. Um, I think it really depends on where you want to put the bulk of your training, isn't it? Like, if you're going to treat second and third at the same time, they're going to happen together. I would then ensure that the first degree period was super long for my for my coven members because I, I would need to make sure that they had everything that they could possibly have before I helped them acquire a label of like, this is a person who is now ready to like completely run and lead a coven on their own. Whereas now I think there's a goodly amount of like, post-second degree work, expertise, developing of, of specialization, um, you know, delving into some more esoteric topics um, that aren't necessarily Wicca, but are adjacent to what we do um, that put like a polish on things. If I had to put all of that before second and third degree, people would have to stay first degree for a super long time. And that's fine. I mean, I just think it's really like where people want to put the training and what and what they consider important to pass on. I mean, if all you're passing on is, and not to get into an argument about what core material is, but if all you're passing on is core material, if that's your major concern, then I do think that, you know, can happen within a relatively short period of time, depending on like the life of the person and how much time and energy they have to put into stuff and, and what they're ready for and whatnot. So I mean, since we already started talking about getting second and third at the same time, or, you know, the way that these two degrees can kind of ooze into each other, for want of a better word. <laughs> Sorry, Josie, wrong word. Uh, what would we expect to see of third degrees who are in the coven that they started in? For me, I think it's just a maturity of the skills learned at second degree. Uh, there's our greater role of expectations of running a coven and, and being an active member not just a third asking a second can you do this are you able to write a ritual for this but a third taking a, a, a complete active role in every aspect of the coven whether that's writing rituals whether that's updating training material uh speaking to other thirds and networking and, and seeing how they do things for me it's just a maturity and and, and when i say just i don't mean it's just but it's a maturity of all the skills learned at second even though for us seconds technically can hive under the guidance of a, of a third degree or, or the, the parent coven, there's no real expectation that once you become third, you have to hive this. It's not like, there's the door, you've, you're third now, off you go. You know, they, because I think there is still that, that dust settling period after you get your third as well. And there's, there's work to do after third. You know, and, and a new third might need the support of their current third, whether it's a high priestess or a high priest. Do you want to go ahead and define hive for us, just so that we make sure everybody has the same background knowledge? Yeah, so hiving is where you as a, as a second, under the guidance of the, H, of the HP, of the high priest or the high priestess, or as a third, you can then go off and form your own coven with autonomy at, at second you're not necessarily always autonomous but at, at third you have complete autonomy to go off form your own coven and everything that comes with that all the shenanigans so for third degrees that have just been elevated and decided to hive 
I think we've talked about this very briefly. We don't talk about Bruno. So, for third degrees that have decided to stay with the Covenant and are not hiving, and everyone's cool with that, I don't see why anyone wouldn't be, circumstances being what they are. I think my expectations of that are very similar to a first degree, with one caveat. First degree is focused on learning, third degree is not. Everything else is still the same. I expect you to participate and to contribute, except for, given the caveat that you're not focused on learning anymore, your ability to participate and contribute are significantly more built upon a foundation of having learned and having done. And so that the, the shape of that will be different. Um, I'm not going to turn to a brand new first degree and be like, all right, you run the Sabbaths for the next year. That's not happening. They might not even know what a Sabbath is yet, but a third degree who's been around might have an idea for a series of rituals for the coven to, to delve into over a period of Sabbaths. Okay, well, put it together. Let's go on that journey. Yeah, definitely. And I, I appreciate that you've mentioned a few times now, James, this idea that like at first degree, second degree, third degree, there's not really that much difference in terms of expectations to the coven. We're all members of the same coven. We're all members of the same family. Everybody's contributing to the best of their ability or to whatever amount makes sense for their current knowledge level. Everybody's helping each other out in some way. And I do think that's important, right? Because while we are a hierarchy with different levels, we're not an autocracy, hard to get in, easy to get out, right? Like there's no point. We're not here to make anybody's life more difficult based on whatever level they're at or how much they know. Everybody is sharing in the work of the coven and it's just proportional to or relative to what, what you know and what you're able to do at this point. Like there's no reason that a third degree cannot also be helping to vacuum temple room before ritual. There's no reason why, you know, first degree can't put out cakes and wine. Like it's all shared. And that's what makes a healthy hierarchy as opposed to an unhealthy one, I think. Apart from when it comes to shining the pentacle, that's always the first. (laughs) That's always the first. It's a very, there's a lot of feelings about that pentacle there, Peter. So, what if your pentacle is made of material that doesn't shine? Then you got to work doubly hard. Then you're polishing hard enough. (laughs) Noted. It's not allowed. Okay, so we've talked about the different degrees that you might find within the coven, but there are also special roles, I guess, or titled roles, roles that have titles uh, within the coven that might be worth sort of mentioning and and discussing as well. So for example, when we talk about an elder within the coven, who are our elders in a coven? We see elders as either second or, well, second and third degrees, not necessarily people who have, who have stopped teaching and who are just members of the coven anymore. Yeah, we, we, we don't really have a defined role for the term elder. It's just somebody who, who is of second and or third degree. I think there's, you can have elders of your line, so like your initiators, initiators and people like that, I would consider an elder. I don't know about all seconds and thirds. Are all seconds and thirds elders? I guess. I think it all varies a lot by coven to coven and line to line. Uh, first coven, all seconds and thirds were considered elders. We don't do that in our coven. And I didn't experience that in any of the other covens I've been in. Just depends. Who do I consider an elder? I don't know. How long do you practice the craft? Is there a marker of years? I don't know. I think it would just, it's one of those things that we throw the term around and unless your coven is set upon the work to define that for your group, it's a pretty vague term. Yeah. I just think that this is one of those terms that's different in the coven than it is without the coven, right? Within the coven, we do in our, in, in my upline and for me, I guess, treat second and third degrees as elders, but within the coven, elder just sort of means that they have, I guess, maybe more of a vote or like they have a little bit more 
voice in terms of what the coven does. So sort of like your example, James, of like, if somebody was like, Hey, I really want to try this new ritual cycle for like the next Sabbath year or whatever. Right. That would be something that the second and third degrees in the coven, I would anticipate coming from that. If a first degree came to me with that, I'd be like, well, maybe we could focus on learning, like getting your fundamentals checked off before we start innovating things. If you're ready for innovation, then we can talk about moving up to second or third. So I guess that's what we really mean by elders is they tend to have more of a leadership, a role in like the leader council or something like that, depending on the size of the coven. But certainly outside of the coven, do I consider like every second or every third degree an elder? Like, no, I would speak with, I would speak of like line or traditional elders in a different level of respect. And I would mean that different kinds of people. I think it's rare for people to speak in the wider community of all second and third degrees as elders. Cause that means there's 25 year olds running around who we're calling elders. Right. And that just feels disingenuous. They may be very knowledgeable. They may be very excellent priests and priestesses or priestesses, but it feels disingenuous to be calling them an elder of anything. And then what about, I mean, we all know, I guess what a high priestess or one hopes a high priestess and a high priest are, but how can we sort of look at those roles within a coven and how might they be different in a coven? The high priestess is the first among equals. It's the best way I know how to explain it. So if her and the high priest are running the coven together and the decision needs to be made or whatever, hers is the final slap. I've known initiates before her get all twisted up because gender and why does she get this and so on and so forth this. And I've I've heard various reasonings behind it, some of which relates to our lore. At the end of the day, we just need a system that breaks the tie. And that one's just as valid as any other. So my experience has been that the high priest also sort of greases the wheels, like makes things go, deals with some more of the logistical stuff. But I think that really varies coven to coven in terms of how the leadership of the coven decides to distribute those, the various responsibilities that come with leading a coven. And it depends on really personality, who's going to be better at logistics versus training versus putting together materials versus, you know, and so on. I know some wonderful high priest, high priestess kind of teams, leadership teams that work really well together in that way you've described, G. Um, And yeah, the high priestess does have the final say at these are people who carry it really well and it's never abused and it really is that first amongst equals and the high priest still has a big role in that and balances things really well in the way things are led. So it's nice that you mentioned that balance, Josie, as well, because I think it's important that the high priestess and the high priest do balance each other as, as the representation when in circle of God and goddess. I know that my high priestess would openly say like, yeah, Peter, you, you can do the organizational stuff because you were good at the organizational stuff. And, and I think a high priestess and a high priest will, they will work it out who has, who has what power, power in, in air quotes here. So yeah, I think, I think a good partnership between high priestess and high priest is important for an effective coven as well. If one of them is always struggling to gain the upper hand, the power, then that's not, that's not, good for the coven at large that's not an effective coven in my opinion you're on the same leadership team and approaching leadership of a coven you need to figure out what your complementary roles are i'm quite different than than my wife she used to be a school teacher i also have a tendency to be more involved with the greater community, Facebook, podcasts, so on and so forth. She doesn't even have a smartphone. She's got a flip phone. So it's just very different in our approaches to things. But together, we very well cover down on where each other's weak in skills. I know um, of covens where the high priest and the high priestess roles are shared amongst a couple of the same gender. And to me, it's really interesting the way that they've decided who acts as the coven high priest and who acts as the coven high priestess based on, as we've said, like their strengths and their skills and the particular responsibilities that they have a tendency to take on. But, you know, those things fell out naturally sort of anyway. Um, So definitely, I think in most covens I've observed, 
a distinction in terms of who's taking on which responsibilities. There's very rare, I think, that you have a leadership team where both people are equally strong in all the same things. And so it does sort of tend to distribute itself out. But I've also seen where either the high priest or the high priestess is slightly more invested, has more time, more interested in taking on a lot of that work. I think my coven is sort of like that. My high priest is fantastic and I have a lot of respect for him, but like our coven is my passion project and he's there to help and support and do whatever. But like, ultimately he's like, has, and I'm quoting, like, just wants to take his marching orders from me. Like, I will do whatever you tell me to do, but just tell me to do it. Right. He's just waiting for like whatever is going to be easiest for me. And I've so, and I've seen that happen in the reverse as well, where the high priest, like the coven is more of the high priest's passion project and the high priestess who's acting as high priestess for the coven or the high priestess for the coven has less time maybe to give. And so is more there to support and take on traditional roles within like when coven is meeting and during ritual, but in like all the organizational aspects fall on the high priest. And I just sort of thinks it's interesting how personality sort of let those things fall out the way that they will. And because there's a lot to do when you're running a coven, some covens also have other roles that have specific names that I thought would be interesting to discuss because we don't have, in my line, we don't, I guess my subline, we don't use some of these. So those would be the coven maiden, the summoner or the man in black, and then other covens might have additional roles. Do any of you use either of these roles? And if so, how do you think of them or what are they? Not currently, but I've been with covens that I've had a maiden. I've been with covens that I've had a summoner, as well as a host of other roles that we either made up for training purposes or functions of the coven, whatever. But the most common two, I think, are maiden and summoner. My first coven had, I think maiden was kind of informal, but we had a maiden um, and we had a summoner too. So the summoner or the man in black was in charge of doing a lot of the organizational sorts of things. So the high priestess would decide when, and the high priest would decide where now Sabbaths would take place. And it was the summoner who would be in charge of contacting everybody and um, sort of telling everybody what to bring and all of those sorts of things. So just that kind of like the HR <laughs> side of things um, fell to the summoner. Sometimes I wonder how widespread these roles now currently are because I'm sure that most covens have a WhatsApp group or a messenger group, which which would have been the job of the summoner. They would probably send the emails, make the phone calls and say, can you bring this? Can you bring that? I like the idea of, of a summoner or a man in black. I just don't know how, how much there is in the age of social media and technology for him to do we we have a maiden who in our eyes is is training up to be a high priestess um but she is she is also the the high priestess's right hand woman for lack of a better word if 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 things if things need passing to the high priestess from the altar or passing back to the altar it's her that does that kind of job and then yeah we don't really have a summoner or or a man in black because we have a Kevin messenger group. <laughs> your messenger My, group is your summoner. Is the summoner. Right. Right. Yeah, the summoner, exactly. The summoner keeps the Evite list and sends out the emails for the outer court. Uh, when we had special events going on, we would like appoint a summoner for the duration of like that ritual cycle or whatever, mostly to just have like a single point of communication and one person who would handle that. I think maiden, I think most covens end up having a maiden, even if they don't explicitly call them that, right? And where the maiden is sort of like the understudy of the high priestess is training up to probably be a high priestess, getting ready to hive in the sooner side of things, is the right hand, would be maybe like the first in a list to take on ritual roles if the high priestess weren't feeling up to it that evening or something like that. I think most people do tend to have that person or most covens tend to have that person. The man in black always makes me think of just that phrase makes me think of in Masonic lodges or in Eastern star as well. You know, there's a role 
that people are aware of, of a person who's like literally guarding the doors. That's what the man in black sounds like to me, but I think it must be awful boring to have to stand outside the door for every ritual. So I don't know how many people really do that anymore. James, you talked about um, other coven roles before, just kind of as the coven needed them. I am reminded of the old Amber K book, Coven Craft. I'm a big fan of daggy early 2000s pagan books just for like the historicity of them right and just as, as an oddity and that's got some fantastic common roles in it that are suggested I think she suggests about 30 different roles so I don't know how big she recommended covens get but there's an amazing list of roles in there and as part of that there are role-playing scripts between the different members to like suggest how to deal with like certain outcomes uh, or issues that arise and conversations that might happen and things like that and I just love it because it's so weird. I think it would be fun for our listeners to post in in like where we post this on our Facebook group maybe suggest some new roles that you think Coven should have maybe like a social media entrepreneur or I don't know, giving out of the of the crisps during Pardon, um, of the pentacle polishes. So, right, yes. yeah, yeah. And then the what? the game will be figuring out which of those are parody roles and which of them are real roles, and maybe the, it's a little bit of both. The official Kevin Samier. Yes, yeah. I want that one. Uh, I would love somebody to take over my Facebook page because my Kevin Facebook page is has a single post on it because I have no time to deal with that and everything else. So I would love a, son- a social media entrepreneur. Um, yeah, please do that, everybody. If you're listening to this, go on our Facebook page and type up what roles, like what realistically, what additional roles you have. Like we always have a scribe usually or what roles you can dream up that a coven might want. A 21st century coven role. An interactive podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Why not? We keep asking you all to contact us and nobody ever does. I don't get any emails. We get like Instagram likes, which I appreciate. We'll also take suggestions, but not complaints, as I think Peter once said. Yeah, if you've got complaints, we don't want to hear those things. We don't <laughs> care. <laughs> Let's see if we can wrap up with just a takeaway on like, why is coven hierarchy important for, you know, a tradition where most of us have escaped from really top-down uh, religious structures. I think I want to go back as well uh, to an earlier podcast. I forget which one it is, but I remember when we were talking, it might have been one of the red flag ones, where um, James said that we don't necessarily need community leaders. We need leaders in community. And I think within covens, we need leaders as well. If we have a, a, a discussion and there are two different opinions, and then somebody has to say, right, we're, we're going to go with this. And I think hierarchy is about breaking those ties. You know, there's always going to be a need for, for a leader, for somebody to take up that mantle and say, right, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is the focus of the coven. This is what we're going to do for the next 12 months for the Sabbaths or for the Esbats. I know I've mentioned it before. I don't necessarily see hierarchy as a bad thing. I've never really had any bad experiences with, with hierarchy without paganism and within paganism or, or Wicca in particular. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's, it's important because it, it gives us that leadership, that direction. Where do we go in as a coven and what are we doing in this ritual? For example, the question is how do we become organized, disorganized religion? Um, I know lots of people come from organized religion with very strict hierarchies um, that are institutionalized. But at the end of the day, if our spirituality is shared, it's religious and there's an organization to it and this is just our take on how to herd the cats in one direction i think i said this in the why covens episode but when covens and even hierarchy is done right there's no better feeling in the world that feeling of having a family um around you that supports you and that you support yeah well said everybody So I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Today, we have talked about a number of digressions and also what a dedicant or neophyte degree is and whether or not they exist within our covens, the different degrees within the Alexandrian covens and what can be expected in terms of knowledge, experiences, and responsibilities. 
the roles of the high priest and the high priestess in a coven, some other terms that one might come across or other roles one might come across, and why coven hierarchy is important. So to close us out, I know that previously we've talked an awful lot about the importance of autonomy in Alexandrian witchcraft and the importance of personal responsibility for a practicing witch. But working within the hierarchy of a coven doesn't take away from that. Personal freedom and independent thought are still fundamental to the witchcrafts that we do, but learning from those who are more experienced than you and practicing within the framework of a tradition can enhance your practice and skills more quickly and more responsibly. And so that's why we like the system that we work within. So thank you all for listening. As a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as Circle Talk for Witches, four as in the number four, Twitter as Circle for Witches, or email us at circletalkforwitches at gmail.com. If you have any questions, queries, thoughts, ideas for future discussions, please do get in touch because we'd love to hear from you. From all of us at Circle Talk, merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again. <laughs>